Succeeding at anything in life takes work. I've been fortunate enough to lead a life filled with incredible opportunities and I've interacted with many of the most remarkable experts in their field. It is abundantly clear to me that anyone can be successful if they'll just take ownership of their personal greatness and if they'll work on improving every single day. You simply must do the work because if you don't grind, you don't shine. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Let's get this show on the road. Special thanks to John Oswald for putting together the audio for the show and a great video you can find on social at If You Don't Grind and then also at www.ifyoudontgrind.com. And this podcast is made on the heels of a podcast I did formerly called Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, where we interviewed Judge Judy and Troy Aikman and Ric Flair and Adam Carolla and Adam Schefter and, and Big Cat and just talked with these different guests about their professional upbringing. This is a little bit more targeted. This this podcast is about you know recognizing the personal greatness inside of people and then helping them to work towards achieving it. And so, guests from all walks of life will be divulging you know what's made them successful. And there are commonalities across all guests, but also a lot of really unique traits and habits and characteristics that people will divulge through these episodes. So, this initial launch will have ten episodes, uh, and then we'll be releasing an episode a week for the foreseeable future. And and really just trying to find how these people came to be where they're at in their lives and what they're doing going forward to have even more success. And so people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different individuals, really with compelling stories and all personal relationships that I have. So, you know, I know all of the guests and it makes it a different interview uh, and has a, a slightly different feel to it. So Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the first episode of the If You Don't Grind podcast. There'll be an advertisement about halfway through the episode where you can get $50 off your first job posting on LinkedIn Jobs. This episode with Big Cat from Barstool Sports is great, where he talks about starting his professional life in the real estate world and the self-proclaimed worst real estate professional in the history of real estate uh, and how he grew from that, working simultaneously and concurrently as a real estate professional and then with Barstool Sports and then what that leap was like and and then the successes and failures that he's experienced at Barstool Sports. Um, obviously, overwhelmingly more success than failure, but even still not uh, not failing to acknowledge the, the struggles or the things that have made the, the grind more difficult, but also probably more rewarding. So uh, a really fun interview to be able to sit down with him in the Pardon My Take studios to have Hank, his producer, put the, the episode together. And, and really, it was it was awesome. And so last year, I went around the country with a, a GoPro and a video camera and voice recorder and sat down with people who I know and talked about what their pursuit of personal greatness looks like and, and how they're working towards achieving it every single day. So this first episode with, with Big Cat really was a blast. I hope you enjoy it and uh, hope you continue to listen. Without any further ado, here is Big Cat for Barstool Sports on the If You Don't Grind podcast. All right, I, I'm calling this the podcast to be named later. I don't know if that's actually going to get a name or not, but that's a working title. Okay. And uh, appreciate you coming on. Yes. So this is like the podcast that uh, might get traded for a bag of balls later. One of yeah. those situations. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. And a 40-second rounder. Yes. So wanted to talk to you about a number of things, right? And pardon my take 
presented by the Cash App. See it? Yeah, yeah. we're uh, in the studio. Co-branding. Yes. Obviously, that is the number one sports podcast. A lot of people identify with that. Shout out to Pardon My Take for all of its success. But I wanted to go back and kind of figure out how you got to build to that because I know it's not just an overnight success. I wanted to go back to your fond days at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what that was like in Madison. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you spent time on a Big Ten campus with, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin's very similar. I'd like to think that Wisconsin is a little more fun than uh, all the other Big Ten schools, but great place to go. Awesome school. You know, it's so big in Madison. If you've been to Madison once, you fall in love with it. But I was the classic quintessential kid who went to school and my what I studied I had no idea what I want to do I studied history and political science I was good you know I I was a good student I I studied hard got good grades but the moment I graduated I basically was saying to myself well maybe I'll go to law school in a few years or maybe I'll go to business school or who the hell knows what I'm gonna do and uh, it was very weird because it was also so I graduated in 2007 and this is right before everything kind of falls apart in the world. And my uncle got me a job working through a connection. And I'm definitely someone who will admit that sometimes who you know and sometimes the connections will always help. Our relationship started through no doubt. connections of other people that we then got linked up. Sam Schwartzstein, yes. Scott Turner. Yeah, shout yeah. out all those Tom guys. Tom Green, for sure. Who, yeah, exactly. Like We can get into this because I'm a big believer in connecting with people and staying connected with people. But so my uncle was able to help me get a start working in real estate in Chicago for a home developer so I was getting paid nothing like I think my starting salary was $27,000 a year US yes US I remember actually so I started in 2007 the market goes to crap everything falls apart and they looked around the whole company and they're like they basically fired half the company and it was it's not a big company it was like probably 35 40 people and they kept me because I was so cheap they're like this guy's getting nothing So we can just give him a bunch of different jobs. And I think the first, the very first lesson I learned was that basically making myself, you know, someone that can't be cast aside and can't be thrown away because I do so many different things is the key to success. And by that, I mean, I came in as trying to figure out what real estate development was. And within a year, I was doing property management and helping with rentals and getting my you know license to just chip in with that. Basically trying to make myself as like a Swiss army knife because the market was so bad and everything had gotten so terrible that I knew that the only way to stick was to do like six people's jobs at once. You have people like that around here? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, I think actually the most successful people like that like hank is a perfect example some people will get mad because i always pump up hank because he's my guy everybody's got a guy yeah everyone's got a guy you got to have the guy and and when you have a guy you always sing his praises and you go back to the well right time after time and it's it's one you know you have those relationships where you're like this guy i trust no matter what with everything i do and that's hank but he started at barstool and he didn't even know how to do the things that he put on his resume which I wouldn't recommend that to lie on your resume, but he became, you know, video guy, podcast producer. Now he produces uh, stool seeds. He does on-air stuff. He's in videos, part of the like actual audio of Pardon My Take. So doing a bunch of different things makes it so people can't get rid of you. So you were at the real estate agency development firm yeah and you're there for a year two years was it something that you could see yourself doing long term so i actually the joke i make is that i i am the worst real estate professional of all time because i got into it in 2007 six months before the market crashed in historic fashion and i got out of it in 2012 
when it was just bouncing back. So my real estate career was essentially the worst five, six years of like the US real estate market. But I did have that point right around 26, 27, where I was like, I think this is a career. I could see myself doing okay. I wasn't making big money, but I had started, you know, climbing up a little bit and starting to do some fun things, flipping houses, all that kind of stuff. But there was always that nagging part of me where I was like, I think there's something else I wanted. It it was a job. It wasn't something that I was so passionate about that I wanted to get to work every day and was excited and fired up to get involved. So I think hitting that age and having that kind of revelation was big for me being like, yeah, I could do it forever. But would I love it? Probably not. So is there something else out there? Yeah. And a lot of people get to that point, right, where they're figuring out, okay, is this for me? And so what was the step? What was the moment? What was the thought process? How did it all evolve to take you from that to what you did next? Yes. So they started Barstool Chicago. So I was so I started as writing uh like funny emails to my friends and funny like how I like that would just yeah like a clown uh good fellas no but like you know I would write uh it, w- it would start as I would remember a random player from Wisconsin history or something from like when we all were in college together or remember a random person and I would send an email on Fridays and my friends would like it and it was like okay maybe this is something that's going on and I you know toiled around with all that stuff and then uh they started Barstool Chicago I hit up Dave and I asked him if I could cover I wasn't going to be the guy but I asked him if I could cover the Cubs and uh, you know write a little on the side so there was a probably about a nine month span where I was doing both I was still working in real estate and also blogging a little and those nine months when you're doing both you can feel it you know okay the one thing I love about one thing I wake up and I'm passionate about and the other thing is just kind of a paycheck yeah because I wasn't getting paid to blog but I was enjoying the heck out of it so that kind of moment made me realize like all right this is really what i want to do and i think barstool got to a different point where they had a little more financial stability where it became less of a risk to take that jump it was still a risk because it was seven people and we still got paid i think through just personal checks from dave so it was still a risk but it was also one of those moments where it's like okay i'm 27 i don't have a family I could take this risk. And I remember getting the advice from someone, uh, a close friend, being like, listen, make your mistakes early because a lot of times you feel like there's so much pressure on you in your 20s, but you're still very, very young career-wise. And if you make a mistake or you go to a place that doesn't work out, it's okay because you can find a way to restart as long as you do it early enough where it's not like, hey, I'm 40 and I'm going to decide to start be a blogger. Well, and, and you keep those relationships tight, right, in the context right. that you're talking about. So it's you had a safety net proverbially, but not literally or obviously right. unless you're a clown. In a right. Story. No, I left. It's a good point, though, because I did. I left on good terms. I actually remember walking into my boss's office to tell him that I was going to leave. And I was like, can I talk to you for a sec privately? And he said to me, either you stole money for me or you found something you're passionate about and you're leaving us. And I was like, well, I didn't steal money from you. So he's like, well, I'm happy for you, whatever you found, because I want you to be happy. So leaving on good terms and not burning bridges and being friendly with those people still is definitely a good life lesson. Like, hey, things will always come around again. You know what I mean? You'll always have people that you get in contact with. You maybe never thought you'd come across again. That will pop up again. So having those relationships and keeping them intact is definitely a huge thing. The best people that I've met at networking and keeping relationships solid and connected have achieved 
tons of success. Right. right. And it seems like, you know, you'd say it's luck, but then, you know, the, the harder you work, the more luck you have and the stronger your relationships are and those, those ties are, right? It just, it manifests itself beautifully. Right. It's so true. So you're at the real estate agency firm company and you're doing the blogging on the side. How many hours a week was that for those nine months? It was probably, I don't know. I mean, it would depend on what was going on given, you know, it started, it slowly ramped up. Eventually I was probably working. My real estate job was like 50 to 60 hours a week. And then blogging was another like 10, 15. And then some on the weekends as well. I think there's definitely looking back on it. There's a lesson to be had with being in your 20s and having that like energy that can't really you don't realize until you lose it. You know what I mean? You don't realize that you've lost it until you've lost it. But that energy of, hey, I can sleep six hours a night and work 70, 80 hours a week and I'll be fine. You know, there's that feeling that you just have that in you. And I think being able to capture that and take advantage of it is pretty crucial. Yeah. And it's not to say that it necessarily departs everyone at the same age. Right. So if you recognize it, if you still have it, like definitely take advantage of it. So you start the job at Barstool and then what was that grind like? So so I did the nine months where I was doing it part-time and then I finally came full-time, decided to make the switch. And back then, so it's 2012, the way we were set up was we had Boston, New York, Chicago, I think we had Philly and that was it. So, oh, and, and Barstool U. So it was essentially like seven or eight guys total in the whole company. We were all separate. We basically, the only interaction you'd have is through, you know, G-chat, talking to your colleagues. Like, I would sit at home. I would wake up in the morning because I'm in the, you know, central time. I'm already an hour behind everyone else, so I'd wake up a little earlier. I would sit at my desk around 7.30 in the morning. I would start blogging, and I would have a different blog up every 40 minutes from 7.30 in the morning, basically, till, like, 5 at night. And at 5 at night, I would maybe take an hour to take my dog out, decompress, and then... As soon as games start, I'm back on the couch, you know, interacting, being always plugged in. And that was the big thing that I think set me apart or maybe not set me apart. But the big thing that was huge for our early success is always being on because people would watch a sport and they're on Twitter and they want to interact and they want to see a blog about it and they want to have an instant reaction. And knowing that no matter what happens, you'll have my thoughts about it within like 10 minutes and having that like I'm always plugged in. I'm always locked in. I don't have much of a social life, but that's okay because I enjoy what I do and it's for a bigger goal. I feel like that's still an element of what you do on Twitter. Yeah. Right? Like weighing in, immediacy. Correct. Do you ask that of people here at Barstool, the bloggers, like just crank it out every 40 minutes, like aspire to reach your standard? No, actually, it's interesting. The evolution of Barstool has been very interesting to watch just from, I would assume from the outsider, but from the insider as well myself. Because what we did to start is completely different than what we expect from people now. And I think that's both a good and a bad thing because when I started and it was only seven of us, it was essentially you had no excuse for missing something, but you also had no backup. So if something happened in a Cubs game, there's no one else who's going to talk about it. I have to talk about it. So having that feeling like it's me, it's on me, I have to be on all the time kind of trains your brain to always be locked in whereas now there's so many people that there's a little bit of an element of where people can say 
oh, well, someone else has it and someone else got it so I can take a night off. So, which isn't a bad thing because I think once you get to a bigger company, you go from seven people to 150, you can never ask the additional 143 people to be as invested as the first seven. You know, it's, it's, I think that you can see that in any company to add people. Yeah. When you get added later, the life work balance is always going to be a little bit better than the early people. Yeah. The fundraising company I'm at right now, like great people started it, right? Former Washington state quarterback, CEO, and they just hustled and grinded and flew everywhere and did everything and wore 75 different hats. And now, you know, there's more order, you know, we've got C-suite executives and everything. And, and yeah. but you still try and keep that grind and that hustle and you can spot who has it. And then that's a, you know, a, a keynote for success. There, I yeah. Guess. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, once you start adding more people, some people are going to be nine to five, you know, and I think that's totally okay. once you realize that, that it's just never going to be the same as it was when there were yeah. eight of us yeah. and it was like everyone in the foxhole together. But there are some people probably like Elon Musk, maybe and others that think everyone should be working 16 hours a day on that. Which is crazy to yeah. me because I just think honestly, it's, it's really how you're wired. And I think I am wired in a certain way. Hank actually makes fun of me. I am like when I complete something, when I put out something, I'll probably bask in it for about 30 minutes. And then I'm like, all right, what's next? When we went and, and interviewed Coach Harbaugh, that was one of our biggest interviews to that date for mm -hmm. part of my take. I think maybe we were 20 minutes down the road where I was like, all right, what's next on the schedule? Because it's just this feeling of it's never enough. And I don't think everyone has it. And that's okay. I think that's me having that has probably helped me a lot. It's also probably made me a little bit crazy and, and not a normal, like, social life and all that stuff. But I think some people are wired that way and they'll succeed in a different trajectory. Did I tell you that that milk was expired? Yes. Okay. Yes, which is fine because yeah. we got the interview. Sure. So it was perfect. This seems like a perfect time to mention that if you're looking for someone like a six foot two real estate professional from Chicago, <clears throat> big cat, then you might want to use LinkedIn jobs. Uh, I can't give a higher recommendation and a stronger recommendation for a job hiring platform than LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, hired several people, a lot of really talented candidates on there. You can post jobs for people to apply for and to, and to find you as a company yourself, but then you can also source candidates and you can send uh, LinkedIn mail and access candidates who are open to new opportunities. The filters are amazing. Uh, again, I have used them myself. It's been great, really successful, easy to use. People are hired every eight seconds off of LinkedIn jobs, and, and about 80% of job posters receive a quality candidate within the first 24 hours. It's a, a really a no-brainer. So today, you can find the right person for your business with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay whatever you want. There's a, a flexible budget, um, and you're not going to be wasting money on getting job views and impressions in front of people who aren't interested. So today, if you go to LinkedIn.com slash grind, again, that's LinkedIn.com slash grind, you can get $50 off of your first job job post. Terms and conditions apply. Really think it'd be a no-brainer for your for your company if you're looking to hire someone. LinkedIn.com slash grind, $50 off your first job post today. Some of the other barstool cities didn't take off maybe like yours did, mm -hmm. right? Certainly like Boston has. Is it fair to say that your work ethic maybe allowed Chicago to succeed at a better rate? Yeah, I don't know if it was my work ethic because I think we had a bunch of guys who started who were all really hard workers. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of that. There's also a little bit to be totally honest with you is if the teams win winning yeah it really does like yeah. the blackhawks winning was big for me and being with the team in 2000 you know they won in 2010 but being with the team in 2013 and in 2015 
kind of gives you a little something. Having Jay Cutler be an early fan and wearing shirts at press conferences, those little things. So I wouldn't say that I worked harder than anyone. I mean, I, maybe I did, but I would say that like there's, it's almost like a perfect storm of things that happened to get us to where we were. And you got to ride the uh, championship coattails a little bit for, for yeah. the Blackhawks, right? Yeah. How was that? It was unreal. I mean, that I still have to pinch myself because the one thing that happens with internet time is a week feels like a year. Yeah. So when I'm talking about 2013 and 2015, it feels like 40 years ago. Uh-huh. But Patrick Sharp, who was a fan and a friend, was so, so nice to me and let me enjoy it with the team at a level that I don't think really many people get to do. And I still have to pinch myself and be like, I can't believe I was like allowed to party with those guys, go on Wrigley Field, all these things that were just once of a lifetime moments. And not only were they once of a lifetime moments, but they helped my career in a big, big way. Did you drink out of the Stanley Cup? Oh, many times. Nice. Many times. Nice. Yes, many times. I was like an honorary University of San Diego baseball team member, so I got to play against Chris Bryant in an alumni game. Oh, uh, you probably kicked your ass. I got a nice K in the box score. Yes, so yes, that was good. yes. So Barstool starts ramping, and things are getting better. I have a soft spot in my heart for barstool van talk okay really enjoyed the episode yes Uh, the one episode yeah the one episode and there are some other really great series that i looked up that got canceled after one episode (laughs) like like heil honey i'm home which is uh an adolf hitler-esque oh uh, geez uh, yeah yeah. living next to jews in a neighborhood (laughs) trying to okay trying to figure that out there was another one uh guy who was trying to heal people through different like mesmerizing and just different tactics that you know certainly weren't very effective right hypnosis right uh, so one show barstool van talk 94 percent though on google like overwhelmingly Ooh, yeah. yeah nicely yeah, yeah. approved and acclaimed i would like to say that my favorite part of it was in studio doing the chris berman yes yes i mean that was a i was thrill i was crying laughing yes, i mean yes. it was it was terrific people were mad because their dogs started barking when they heard when they heard us whooping and and doing all the chris berman noises i'm sure they got over it yeah no yeah. doubt so undoubtedly you had big plans for that yeah right and you're focused on that and you're the type of guy who after you do something 30 minutes later you're like okay like what are we doing next Mm -hmm. did you have that after you found out that barstool van talk was no more yeah i mean it was definitely very disappointing because we had ramped up and i remember so vividly i remember the first show came on a tuesday and then it got canceled the next monday i remember the wednesday after the first show walking out of my apartment at like 10 a.m and being like I have a TV show. This is insane. And kind of having that one moment that I hadn't had because it had just aired the night before. And having that one moment where I was like, this is crazy. I'm on TV. This is nuts. And I remember that so vividly. And then having that taken away, it definitely hurt. It also taught me so many lessons about what I want and where I want to be in five, 10 years. Because that situation, the way it unfolded, I don't even know who to blame. I think there was a lot of weird things that were at play. But more than anything, especially in today's media, I don't ever want to be in a spot where my fate can be decided by other people. And whether it be people who are doing it in like malicious ways behind my back or, you know, bureaucratic red tape or it's, you know, inner office politics, whatever it may be. I realize that being in that situation where I can have decisions made on my behalf. It's like a really bad feeling to be in. And the media landscape and how it is today, you don't need to do... 10 years ago, you did need to have an ESPN show. You did need to have these things. You had to have a radio show during the drive time slot. I don't think you need it that same way. 
So learning that and learning that, yeah, we got our TV show canceled, but, oh, we woke up the next day and we still have the number one sports podcast. It was a good feeling of, like, you know what? We need to just change, like, where our priorities are and maybe stop looking to all these grandiose ideas that might not actually fit. Because I actually really do think a lot of I, – I hate the saying, like, things happen for a reason. I think it's bullshit, 99.9%. Now I'm going to say it. But I think that show would have been bad for us overall because I think we would have had to – change what we do in our core and our essence in such a way that I don't think it would have worked long term. So you got to cease and desist for the part in my take logo yes. and and the creation of the, that podcast. And then you then had the ESPN show cut off. Uh, you know, George Bush said so eloquently, fool me once, shame on, yes. shame on you, fool me twice, can't get fooled again. Yes. Uh, how many more times are you going to go back to the ESPN well? Well, what's funny is I actually do a radio hit with my friends in Chicago, uh, Waddle and Sylvie, who yeah. do a great show. Uh -huh. I do a 20-minute radio hit with them every Thursday. It's so much fun. They're so the way I explain it, because every now and then I'll still get people when I tweet out that I'm going on, they'll be like, how could you do this to the ESPN? It's the same thing I'll say over and over. Before I went, you know, we got canceled by ESPN. I had close friends that worked at ESPN. And just because I got canceled at ESPN doesn't mean those close friends aren't close friends still. Yeah. I know some people who might have stabbed me in the back, and I'll never forget that. But and not like in a malicious way. Like, I just won't forget. Like, don't get in a spot where people can do that to you. But in terms of people I was friends with and people I know who always had my back, that hasn't really changed. And so, like, Waddle and Sylvia are those type of guys. I knew them before. I was friends with them before it. And so afterwards, it's like, why wouldn't I keep doing it? Just because they're ESPN, that makes no sense. I'm a big believer in personal relationships over like, oh, you work there? I can't be friends with you. You, you know, oh, you work for a competitor? I can't talk to you. No, like if I like you and we have a relationship, we have a relationship because that's what human beings do. So your personal relationships, the way that you handle them, great communication, phone call, text message, show up, invest in them. What does that look like for you, I guess? I would say, and it's really funny because I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to always like talk to strangers and stuff. And I'd be like, this is so weird. He's such a weirdo. But then I realized like I kind of got some of that in me where he passed that along of, you know, being able to communicate with people and talk to people and network with people. But it's something I think I learned once we started doing part of my take and we started reaching out to guests and getting more people and getting more connections. I didn't realize I had that trait in me to the level I do, but I really do take pride in connecting with people, staying connected with people and having relationships. Like our relationship is literally the perfect test case. I think you hated me when we first talked. Not true. You hated me when Negative. we first talked. So <laughs> I'll tell news. the story. Fake news. We were on Grit Week in 2017, I want to say. We were in the Midwest. We wanted to get Jim Harbaugh so badly. I reached out to everyone I knew. Sam Schwartzstein, other people that I knew that were connected even loosely to the Michigan program. I think I, at one point, was texting like eight people in your office all at once. And I finally got to your number. I was badgering you nonstop. We finally got it set up. And I told you we need just 20 to 30 minutes. And then I remember this vividly. Do you remember this? We did like 50 minutes. And when I came out, you're like, hey, 
when you say 20 to 30 minutes and then you do 50, was that on purpose? And I was like, no, honestly, I didn't mean to do that. It was not that way. We just honestly, when there's good conversation going, it's really hard to stop it. So that was why I thought you hated me because I thought you thought like I pulled, you know, the wool over your eyes on that one. You have to understand that there are people who do that. And right. so many people had done that. And so I just as like a, a human experience thought for me, I was like, okay, well, you guys are at a different level with your podcast. Like when you say 20 or 30 minutes, do you mean 20 or 30 minutes? Because in so many sales roles, it's like, sir, can I just get a minute of your time? Right, right. Right. And then it turns into a ton. And I know how he can be when he enjoys something, Coach Harbaugh go long on right. it. Right. And so part of that was me understanding and managing it. And it all worked out. It did work out, but it is, it is true. I probably, when I say 20 or 30 minutes, I probably mean 30 to 40. But when you put the two in front of it, it's like, you know, selling you a car at 1999. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So after that, we stayed in touch. We stayed in text message touch. We, we, you know, I went on Coach Harbaugh's show. Twice. Yeah, twice. And I Thank think, you. We, you know, we, we, we talk every couple months. And then when you're in New York City, you let me know. And so I think those I have a ton of those little relationships yeah. all around the country where it's people that, you know, we maybe haven't like spent a week in Cabo together. But I feel like I know you because we stay in somewhat regular contact. And then I think I've passed along names to you. You've passed along names to me. So it's just this world of networking and staying in touch with people. I always say the advice I give is that always keep in touch with someone when you don't need something from them. Oh yeah. Because that's the biggest thing. When yeah. you get a text saying, Hey, I want this from you and you get it once a year, People are like, you know, what, what, what the fuck? Why, why are you texting me right now? JJ Watt's a perfect example. We had JJ Watt on the show the first time. Didn't go great. It was fine. Whose fault? His or yours? I think it was both of okay. ours. Okay. The sound wasn't great. It just wasn't the best. It was also overhyped. So that part was our fault. I stayed in touch with him. I texted him, you know, when the Badgers are, you know, win a big game or whatever it may be, anything that's topical that I know we both are, you know, thinking, I'll shoot him a text or he'll even shoot me a text. And that relationship over a year and a half of texting kind of grew a little bit. And then the second time he comes on, it was an unbelievable interview because he just feels so much more comfortable and he feels like he knows me to a different level. And so that little stuff where it's like, I'll text after a Badgers game instead of saying, hey, JJ, I want you on the show. It just makes all the difference in the world. And you've been great for me. I mean, you tour around, you know, however you can help connecting people. You know, I was trying to help Dave Solfero with Barstool Idol, yes. right? And yeah, so it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah that's that, okay. Yeah, you know, it happens. And we've tried to link up maybe at games or whatever. And all of that is, is awesome. Yeah. I've appreciated every bit of that. And yeah. so hopefully it'll continue to be mutually beneficial. Yes. I would be remiss if I don't mention PFT. Yes. Uh, uh, and working alongside him, how did that relationship come to be and how strong is it currently? It, it So it started as, funny enough, we both got accused of stealing each other's jokes online. We have a lot of parallel thoughts. By multiple people. Yeah, they'd be like, hey, he said that or he said that. And so somebody's like a, a big cat guy and somebody else a right, PFT right, guy, right? right. And this is early internet, so we didn't have a ton of followers, either of us. So then we followed each other and first met up when he was in Chicago. We grabbed a beer. Funny enough, we were drinking a beer and we were like just shooting the sh and i think we like almost simultaneously said it would be funny if we accused cal ripkin jr of doing steroids because he's the only guy in the steroid era who never got accused of it like just a stupid idea that's sure. you know not true but we would just almost said it at the same exact time and like okay this is kind of random that we are uh this lockstep with our thoughts kept that relationship alive we hung out at the super bowls and then when Chernin bought us and we opened up you know the hiring and had money to hire people in different roles i kind of pitched him on it and he met with dave 
it's like, look, let's do a podcast together. I think it will be big. Never thinking that it would be as big as it has become. Yeah. But he's so much fun to work with because he's just always thinking of new things. And I think we have a, a great chemistry in how our brains work and kind of a yin and a yang to a lot of what we do. It's crazy to think how neither of our careers would be anywhere near what they are right now without each other and pardon my take. And he is witty and really clever exceedingly that way and you can really drive the conversation and add your own take i think it's an awesome mix of the two of you right i'm sure you guys get that all the time yeah right? he so. yeah i mean he, his one-liners are things i could never think of i think i add like the relatability factor and i think when you put it together it's what makes the show go no doubt also the corp is that an example of the relationships yes. i mean that's a pretty yes. eclectic power group of people yeah that's a big time example of relationships so i mean i kind of stalked alex rodriguez on the internet kind of so. stalked yeah kind of can't be like him. halfway pregnant like no, yeah 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 okay i okay. stalked him okay. online right. i yeah. said i worked for his company even though i didn't uh -huh. um and then and no lying on your resume whatever happened to that like hank right I mean, well no i did i mean i was ready to go if yeah. he wanted okay. me i was working for him i wasn't catching a paycheck technically but i was doing work in name of the uh -huh. corp yes and then yeah through other connections that i had made through the years i got connected to him and then it's kind of been and the that's rest detailed of in that episode yeah right and, with alex right it wasn't like a one-to-one a-rod -one slid into my dms it was ron berkowitz and brian axelrod those were the two guys okay. that basically got me connected to a-rod and it was step by step slowly doing a meeting yeah getting lunch with them and then eventually getting to that point yeah the Gary V interview was kind of all over the place. He's high energy. Big time. Yeah, there were a couple things that he just glossed over that you were kind of like making funny inferences or whatever. Yeah. I really, I enjoyed that episode yes. too. So, but that was just a culmination of what you figured, hey, this is a really great group of people. You'll take a different tact and that you were motivated to do that on your own and you had the license to do that and it, yeah. was, it just came to fruition that way. Yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing about working at Barstool is that I have freedom over everything I do. I've never been told no to anything and I don't think you could find another person in sports media who's had that type of career by being able to just be like, all right, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. No one says a word. Even the grit week when we first interviewed Coach Harbaugh, that started by just us getting in a van. And we didn't even tell anyone. We're like, we're just going to go and drive around and get some interviews. So, yeah, the A-Rod thing, you know, obviously Erica and Dave were very helpful, but they never have told me that's a bad idea. And obviously really creative and forward thinking and ambitious that way. But also with that comes a sense of self-awareness and then also a gratitude, right? I mean, like, I feel like you don't take it for granted. Like you work hard. I mean, it's a very fine balance to navigate. I mean, is it fair to say that what you've done and what you've accomplished is a byproduct of maintaining the relationships, yep. being grateful, being gracious, having some luck and happenstance and kind of all blended together? Yeah. And, and really to that point, knowing that the career I have, it won't last forever it's kind of similar to i kind of liken it to an athlete's career that obviously you can be in sports media in your 40s and 50s so it's a little different than playing you know in the nfl but where it's the same is there is a portion of my career that will be my peak there you will, haven't peaked yet i i don't know if i peaked yet and i hope i haven't and then there will be a you know kind of second chapter if you will and it won't last forever so having i think a little bit of humbleness knowing that tomorrow you can wake up and people can just decide they don't like you anymore i mean that could happen so knowing that in the back of my head i think helps drive me a little bit where i just don't really take it for granted and know you know the people who've supported me 
and I'm talking about the fans, obviously family and everything and friends, but like the fans who have supported me and who've kind of accumulated over the years, I don't take that for granted at all. No, and I think your outlook is so different than the major networks because those people are placed there. And yes. I think they feel like they landed on third base and they hit a triple right. when they're really kind of just pinch runners. Right. Right. So you've done the heavy lifting and then you've built to it. And so I think that allows you to be at a unique place with tons of gratitude. Right. And also to that point is that if you look at the evolution of Barstool and how it's gone, and although it feels very fast, it's kind of slow in the respect that seven years ago, I'd walk down the street, no one would say anything, then maybe one person, then two people. So when you think about people who get in, thrust in the limelight, it happens very fast. It's been a slow burn. So it's never felt like my life has drastically changed. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's been such a gradual buildup. I haven't had that moment where I'm like, oh, I'm famous. No, I'm not. I don't feel that way. And I, I really don't believe that. I mean, yeah, on the internet maybe and in podcasting, but having it be so gradual, I think has been huge to keeping your feet in the ground, knowing that all these people were built up through hard work over time. It wasn't just, I had a hit record or yeah. I got drafted. You know what I mean? And now I'm, I'm a big deal. So we might occasionally find you inside a bagel boss talking to yes. random people yeah. maybe about your height. Just, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I am yeah. height is a taboo subject. I'm pardon my take. I am all of six, two and a half. Yeah tallest member on the show congratulations not to brag yeah no. yes yes yeah. humble brag always I'm, been that tall i'm 5'10 so which... that means you're 5'9 no 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 well oh, yeah, this is every every guy who's if uh, if you're six feet you're six feet anything under you're giving yourself an extra inch. pro day shoes off i'm getting measured yeah flat on the ground you stretch the morning i'm when i you know i, I lengthen myself right i tried to elongate as much as i could and i've got a like a 65 year old new york giant scout named jerry shea who just had just a little bit too much of my, you know, he's ready to put a triangle in above my head. He socks me in the stomach and then jams the triangle <laughs> over my head and says five, nine and seven eighths. There you go. I go to the San Diego state pro day two days later, younger guy measures me five, 10 and an eighth. So okay. you take the average, I get to five. Okay. 10, All right. Five, I'll five. give you five. 10. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking through uh, some of the, the secret sauce, right? Which yeah. made you successful. And I, you know, the relationship that you and I have, I really appreciate. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been fun. I never get to really do these things, so I loved it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. That will do it for episode one, the inaugural episode of the If You Don't Grind podcast. A big thank you to Dan Katz, a.k.a. Big Cat, and Hank and everyone associated with the Pardon My Take podcast. Really a lot of fun. This is now the fourth interview i think that big cat and i have uh have been able to do so you know one for his podcast a couple for coach harbaugh's attack each day podcast and then now one for the if you don't grind podcast so again many thanks to big cat look forward to, to hopefully doing it again uh, hopefully you enjoyed it uh, look forward to having you subscribe and continue to follow the podcast on your platform of choice uh, the guest of the next podcast will be mikey Eckstein, who's kind of a legend in the detroit music scene uh, we talk about his time as the tour manager for eminem and d12 back in the early 2000s and all sorts of stories about having to wear bulletproof vests and you know, surprise birthday parties for Eminem and, and stuff like that. So really a, a fun interview to have been able to do with him. Uh, a thank you to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring today's episode. Again, you can go to linkedin.com slash grind for $50 off of your first job post. And again, the mission of the If You Don't Grind podcast is going to be to help you recognize your own personal greatness and to empower you to work towards achieving it. So, you know, always remember that if you don't grind, you don't shine. 
Thank you for listening to If You Don't Grind. For more info, content, or to connect with JT, go to ifyoudontgrind.com.